Well, fancy seeing you here again. Yes, this is still Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes, and I'm still your co-host, Noah Nelson. If you're just joining us, know that this time around we're discussing three episodes of the 2017 DuckTales reboot, Terror of the Terra Fermians, House of the Lucky Gander, and the Infernal Internship of Mark Beeks. As before, my co-host Zay Amsbury and I have secured ourselves some beverages and are about to settle in for a long late-night chat between two grown men about a cartoon. Things, as always, get a little weird. While this is a show about DuckTales, it's not really a show about DuckTales, except when it is. On that note, let's get to it. Welcome to episode three of Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes. We're sticking with it. Um, uh, this is uh, this is our continual deep dive uh, into uh, what we call the footnotes uh, for <laughs> whatever's in our brain footnotes of uh, the 2017 DuckTales phenomenon, phenomenon, um, uh, the, the remake of it. Uh, this time out, we're looking at uh, Terror of the Terra Fermians. Yes. The House of the Lucky Gander. Yes. And the Infernal Internship of Mark Beeks. Um, and I promised Zay last time uh, that we would be able to talk about Scrooge McDuck as a billionaire. Uh, and we'll get there because of the infernal internship of Mark Beeks, I think. I think and next. and I would say the House of the Lucky Gander as well. And and yeah, yeah. In fact, the, these two make a a good a good duology uh, here. Um, so um, yeah, this is your initial watch, and it's my rewatch. So uh, Zay, you have the floor. Well, the the terror of the terror of the Terra Fermians was another what read to me as another Webby episode, um, which I quite liked, and I quite liked I quite liked the pairings here, um, because we have Webby with I believe uh, uh, Huey. Yes, you got it correct. The red one. <laughs> so we also I mean, have to it's like giving you like a test like <laughs> it's like this is like it's like the, the, the thing scourge faces every day it's like wait a second you're the no you changed you changed shirts didn't you sorry i don't have a good scourge yet well i think um, we because because i was talking about in, in the in, in our last episode uh i was talking about how uh dewey and louie have come across pretty clearly, but I was a bit confused about Huey. And now, now that now that in this episode, because we pit um, where Webby gets her knowledge against where Huey gets his knowledge or belief system or something. Um, yes. And for Huey, it's all about the um, the Junior Woodchuck guidebook. That's true. Which um, m- most people uh, who saw the old show would know that like it was it was a deeply fetishized object by uh all of of the boys uh they were very much into their junior woodchuck status here um so far at least it's uh it is it is all a huey thing 
Now, now Huey in this, I think really, really, really to me solidifies his role as the oldest. I mean, that's a very mm. classic oldest, uh, oldest child thing to be the one who sort of holds the line of the establishment ideas and tries to excel rather than uh, undermine the established order. So it makes sense to me that that he would be the one who is truly devoted to the junior wood, woodchuck guidebook. And also it kind of makes sense that he's the one who's introduced third because it seems like in a sense he's the most uh, uh, traditional Huey, you know, like he's most traditional of the yeah. three brothers. Yeah. Like the, I think the only – the only uh, nod to it being slightly more modern is I think he he's wearing like a polo shirt, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like the boys traditionally wear T-shirts, but none of them mm-hmm. wear just a T-shirt. Right? right. Like Doom got a T-shirt with a long sleeve shirt underneath. Classic skater look. Right? Yes. Um, and of course, Louis got his hoodie. Right. Um but uh, and none of them have the baseball or whatever the, the beanie caps, yeah, or uh, whatever the hell those are, except for Huey. Huey's got his cap. Yeah. Um. Now, these these Terra and I have to admit, I mean, I I came out of it a little. Uh, I'm not quite as taken with Huey as I am with Dewey, who is obviously my favorite. Uh, I'm sorry, Louis. Huey, no Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> Dewey, who's obviously my favorite. Wait a second. You changed shirts again, didn't you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> who's your favorite? Um wait, 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 let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Um I am going to guess mm, it's either Dewey or Louie. I don't know. I'm gonna I can I can see you being a Dewey, but I I think but Louie's got that um that like that rebellious temporary autonomous zone kind of thing going on. Is that your final answer? Yeah, I'm gonna say Louie. Mm, it's Dewey. Yeah. It's Dewey. Yeah, I think Dewey. I, I think I wanted it to be Louie just so you and I would have different ones, but I think this is where our um I think this is one of the reasons why you and I connect. Yeah. We're, we're Dewey's. I mean, I feel for Louis. Like, I, I sometimes, like, I'm... And and I got to say, and not, we'll, we'll get there, like, it, it's interesting that I like... I like Huey more in the Infernal Internship, mm-hmm. which is a Huey-Dewey episode, right? Oh, that's interesting. Right? I- I, I agree. I mean, oh, I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I was the, in particular, his relationship, like how, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. But like, but, but that's also, I think in, in, in the, the structure of the show, I think that's one of the things that's interesting is that the pairings can make you feel different things about the different characters. And and yes. that I feel is something that speaks to how good the writing on the show is. Yes. Right? Um, and maybe even something that just writers in general on shows could learn is is valuable. Because I think there's so many, particularly ensemble shows, that the character is the character and it doesn't really matter who you mix them with, 
the audience is going to feel the same way about the character regardless. I think there was even an attempt to get away from that in this season's Westworld by like teaming up Stubbs and Bernard. Uh-huh. Not that I want us to really talk about Westworld, but you know, this is why we were doing this show is because we got bored of Westworld. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you turned to DuckTales instead. Because um, uh, we were looking for better writing. Sorry, but not sorry. Um, uh, or at least less pained writing, I should say. Um, oh, God, that's maybe worse what I just said. Uh, seriously, uh, Jonah, sorry, but call. Um, <laughs> I, and, yeah. Oh, uh, but like, but like the characters, you know, they did at least in what we got out of that show, you know, they didn't, they didn't take the time to do that. You know, we didn't get yeah. a multidimensionality. And yet that's like the first lesson you learn about people in elementary school. Right. Like the first time you feel fully betrayed by someone because they're acting, your friend acts different around other people. Uh, I, I, I was homeschooled up until sixth grade. So I'm still surprised by that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know you had homeschool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was homeschooled, uh, from, uh, well, I went to half of first grade and then homeschooled until sixth grade. But, you know, you talking about that, I immediately started thinking about, about Buffy because I feel like, yep. I, I wonder if what you're talking about, if revealing character through different arrangements of characters is a bit of a casualty of number of episodes in a season. Mm. Because the same thing happens in Buffy, which is classic television, classic American television. So 21, 22, 23 episodes a season. So there's, there's just all of this territory. There's all of this opportunity to have all of these different arrangements in monster of the week episodes uh etc um but, he, but even there really i feel like i feel like in buffy we i still feel like the characters like more consistent like even across and maybe even like they didn't mix them up as much right i, I guess i'm thinking like later seasons you know like yeah, if you I mean, had Xander, you probably have Anya. If you had Willow, you'd either have Oz or you'd have Tara. You know, right? Yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm still. I mean, I'm still ruminating on season one, season two, season three, Buffy, which, which is all about introducing new. It's about setting up, setting up a dynamic, and then introducing new character elements to, to disrupt mm. the dynamic, and then you know things sort of break off and they come back together. Yeah. But, in DuckTales, I mean, the patience of the patience of how slowly characters are introduced. I mean, that we don't that we don't really get something on Huey until the terror of the terror of the Terrafermians is interesting. And and it's particularly interesting. I mean, and I'm looking here as I usually do at this at this fandom guide, and like. I guess, mm, okay, that makes sense. Like, I guess the, the, the fourth production episode was the Impossible Summer of Mount Neverest, which we'll get in our next block. Um, yeah, I was that's looking Huey, at that. That's a Huey-centric one. I see. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at that 
too, because I, I was worried that I'd gotten the episodes that we're going to be talking about wrong exactly because of where the Impossible Summit of Mountain Everest is. Yeah. Um, but and that's, also that's li- just because like, oh, go ahead. And also the Living Mummies of Toth Ra, which here comes between after the Infernal Internship and before the Terror of the Terraformians. Oh, wait. Wait, what? No, Tothra comes after Beaks and before Neverest. So, I mean, I am not looking at the fandom page. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page with the... Oh, yeah, the Wiki- but the Wikipedia page is, is, is wrong. Okay. Uh, it's following the wrong. production code numbers, but yeah. Right. The production code numbers. Yeah. It's following production code, but like. Um, oh, the, but not the release. Not date. the broadcast. Yeah. And um, how do you get that? Yeah. And the Disney. Disney so the, the fandom's got the Disney Plus. So. Got it. Um, just for, for everyone. Yeah. For everyone playing at home. Um, that's, that's, that's your, your guide there. Like, well, I mean the Disney plus, except the Disney closure, of course, what's the freaking you know, pilot breaks it up into two pieces and <laughs> drops it in episode four, just, just for fun. Um, so terror of terraformians. Yeah. Like Webby centric Huey's kind of, you know, I, I think this does a really good job of like giving us Huey's point of view. Um, yeah. I mean, Huey's definitely, this is who Huey is pretty much for the rest of the show okay. uh, or at least the season, if nothing else. Um, and he's, he's a, he's a thinner character. Like he's not as complicated as, as Dewey or Louie. Um, and, and that's, that's like, okay, but it means that he functions better as a foil here. Uh, and maybe even in general than yeah. he does as, as a, as a protagonist. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then there's also, and then there's Louis's uh, meta relationship to the story that Webby and Huey are going through. Oh yeah, um, you know, loaded up on free refills of popcorn. What they they encourage it, and then uh, <laughs> constantly having a snack to watch them like battle it out. But like, I mean, I'm what I'm kind of like drawn to and interested in mm-hmm. uh, and it makes sense why this became the broadcast order is, you know, this is the second episode in a row with Lena. Right. And we start to get, I can even understand why the production order, they would like push this a little further to kind of give the other characters time to like grow and breathe. And also to like, not quite advance Lena's character so quickly and start to show some of the conflict she's getting into. Uh, yes. But because they've decided for a duology here, um, you know, they, they pair off with Mrs. Beakley and like Beakley's just like not having it. Like she is, she is super negative, almost to the point of like, it, it becomes hard to like, even though we know already about Magica, like it's still hard to like, I found it harder to like like Beakley in, in some ways because of this episode until later, right? Like she was almost like too much of a hard ass for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't have any strong any any strong feelings about Beakley, although I do have some affection because she was won over by Donald Duck. And I feel like anyone who can be won over by Donald Duck has some has a pure spirit. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Um I guess the only other thing to note about Terror of the Terraformians, which which it feels like the lightweight episode of of this trio uh-huh. that, we're, that we're talking about um, is, you know, the Terraformians are a classic, you know, out of the comic book. Uh, there were, in fact, uh, in the in the um, I believe in the in the old cartoon, uh, they were introduced as the Terraformians, but indeed in the comic book there were the the terries and the fermies like okay. it is laid out here uh but you could tell the difference based off of the types of tie they wore because because <laughs> 50s and 60s comic books um but they, but the design was pretty much the same but they had like they had different uh accoutrement and that's how you could tell the difference between them um and there's just these cute blobby things that do everything they say in the episode they they have these big old games and that's what causes earthquakes um and there's something sort of like child mythology folklore to all this you know like like uh, answering the question you know grandpa where do where do earthquakes come from yeah yeah very much so and i'm 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 assuming that they're going to come back at some point in some capacity I, I don't I don't want to spoil one way or okay. another. All right. Um, I mean, there's one I actually want to say, um, but you know, we'll we'll this this is one of the reasons why I'm holding out on season two as well. So it's yeah, like, I mean, I know. do like the um, I do like the in terms of building out the mythology of the world. I do like how every every part of the world that the boys have and Webby have that the young ducks have encountered so far no matter what it is whether it's um below below duckburg or in the ocean or in uh duck vegas or anywhere they all have some relationship to mystery or the supernatural there's always something that's that's uh uncovered that is uh, a weird adventure thing and i think it's uh, although I I guess with the uh, with the um, with the exception of the episode that we're coming up on maybe, um, but everywhere else uh, adventure lives everywhere, and I do like how they're how they're building that out as a uh, as a feature of the world that the stories take place in. Yeah, magic magic is real, and it's it's not quite commonplace. Right, like this is this is a high magic world, but it, it's not something that someone just walking down the street would would probably be able to handle. Right, but um, it, but it's also not causing cosmic terror in people. Yeah, like um, well, I mean, hmm, yeah, I don't think we see this season when something truly fantastical happens. Because we never get a crowd reaction so- shot when the gold eating dragon is flying over the town, right. right? Like, so we just don't know how people are dealing with it. And we know the news is like, oh, there's trouble, you know. But like that kind of 
that's kind of yeah. it. Um, I mean, there's there's a bit from the boys uh, in in the first episode when they realize that the stories about Uncle Scrooge are true, are really really true. Yeah. Yeah. Where things start to get truly trippy, though, <laughs> I think. And I think maybe the episode that probably, strangely enough, made me a fan of the show is The House of the Lucky Gander. I agree. I This this was the most uh, – I mean, it needed all the building that came before in order for it to work properly. But I agree. This, this, this to me, was the most interesting – uh, in terms of the ideas that they're playing with of all of the sh- of all of the episodes so far, yeah. So the the tagline here or the, the 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 capsule is Donald competes with his cousin Gladstone Gander to impress Louie at a mysterious resort in Macau, while Scrooge tries to lure kids away from the resort's endless distractions. Um, the setup is Scrooge is coming to uh, hear the golden cricket, which only appears once every 50 years to sing its song. Uh, And they've been asked uh, by Gladstone, uh, who is Donald's cousin, uh, and thus also uh, another one of Scrooge's nephews, uh, to to come on by uh, the, the, I can't remember the actual spot's name. It's not the House of Lucky Gander, but it's the House of Lucky something, um, where uh, he, he needs help. What that help is, is is not entirely clear at first. Yeah, and we get this uh, we we get this wonderful little backstory about the dynamic between Donald Duck and Gladstone Gander. Hey, twenty dollars. <laughs> right, right. Where Donald always has bad luck, and Gladstone Gander always has good luck, and they walk through very different worlds because of that. Um, I mean, it is, it is as heavily written in some ways as, as an early uh, Jonathan Nolan script, (laughs) right? It's like theme (laughs) is beaten into you. Uh, The devices of the episode are beaten into you. Uh, But the, the world they build uh, is so fantastic. So for those who, who, I mean, hopefully people are watching the show and, and listening to us talk about it. So I just watched this yesterday, but I can't remember the name. It of would the be thing. strange if it would be strange if they were just listening to us talk about it. No, I think, I think anyone who does that, if you've gotten this far, cause we're going to release these first three as a set. If you've gotten this far and you haven't, uh, what are you doing? Stop, go watch the show and then catch back up. Cause like we are, we are useless to you. This is not recaps. Uh, Lou high. These are uh, not recaps. No, yeah, these are not recaps. Uh, Lou high. Who's the villain here. Um, you know, he starts off uh, when we, when we encounter him initially, we see him. He's just like the frog guy who's running the casino uh, and is clearly trying to like just bilk scrooge out of money and like is every five seconds is trying to get scrooge to like you know uh uh, get a room or spend some more cash and he's distracting the boys left and right and this this is actually kind of fun because like the louis gone off with gladstone and donald and they're having adventure but like the boys get to kind of step forward again and 
we get a bit of Huey's. Huey's like a full on nerd because mm-hmm. he's into like the Cirque du Soleil water show that's in, in, <laughs> yes. in the thing, Aquarium. Yeah. Um, uh, but like Dewey gets a wonderful Dewey moment of uh, that that also has the line, you know, you can't give a child, you can't give a child a tiger, especially not that child. Um, <laughs> well, and it's, and it's telling that, that for Dewey, because what, um, what, uh, what uh, Toad Leo High is doing is giving everyone what they want and making, mm. and giving them the opportunity to live in the same world that Gladstone does, where everything just comes to you through no effort whatsoever. And, and what Dewey gets is not money, but a friendship, a relationship, oh, a, a partner, which is, of course, what Dewey, what, what is valuable for Dewey. Yeah. Like, Huey Ooh, gets... I mean, it's a tiger. It's a giant dream tiger. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's cool, but it's ultimately a relationship. Yeah. And the, and the, the guy at the mall with the iguana is going to be so jealous. Um, I mean... Yeah, like like again back on like you know the character thing. Like what I love is that this entire as heavy-handed as the theming is, the entire episode is just so driven by the nature of the characters. Yeah. Um and and particularly in the, you know, the character of Gladstone Gander who's who again as a Barks character has been around forever and is the luckiest duck in the world and is a foil of Donald Ducks. Mhm. And to just get this this done in this sharp relief that then, you know, once everything's revealed that the entire casino is like a magical trap, which makes Scrooge very happy. <laughs> you know, like he's so excited to be on an adventure. A lot of the other things that I think is super cute is like, is like Louis wants to just like be a wastrel and spend money. Donald wants to keep an mm-hmm. eye on him, won't let him along with Gladstone because he doesn't want he doesn't want Gladstone's, you know, influence that deep on Louis, um, which causes Donald to get like more and more upset. Uh, okay, so does does can we talk about like the the, the him keep on trying to say that the guy was holding up twenty seven fingers for a second? Because yes, sure. <laughs> because like. When I first watched it, I was like, oh, cute cartoon joke. And they kept on doing it. And it's like, oh, this is ridiculous. And they even lampshade it. They're like, oh, why does he think <laughs> these guys holding up 27 figure, fingers when it's, you know, impossible? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, it's like Donald just get dumber, like the m- more angry he gets, right? Like Donald Duck is like cascade failure. Right, like the more stress he's under, yes, the the more the more mistakes he's going to make. Yes. Oh, I, I thought you were going in a very different direction. I thought I thought there was oh. going to be some sort of um of of Kabbalah association with mm. the number twenty seven that would have some sort of association with a, a previous Donald Duck adventure, <laughs> which is why he would have thought that it was twenty seven fingers. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is. I wouldn't know what it was. I'm sort of focused on uh, on the characterological aspects right now. Like the, yeah. there are things, there are things that get seeded into into some of these episodes, but um, here they're 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 deep into their character mode. You know. Yeah. Well, and this and this is what's and this is what's great about about Donald Duck. Um, 
that he that he 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 um he is that part of us that can only get angrier and more frustrated mm. and and the more angry and frustrated we get as you say the more mistakes we make and it becomes this really awful feedback loop that can only end in a monumental explosion of rage so intense that our clothes turn red <laughs> And that miraculously solves all the problems, which yeah. is the one dangerous thing about the messaging when it comes to Donald Duck, right? Is like, you know, let yourself get angry enough <laughs> and you will be an unstoppable force. I mean, I, I will say like there is a moment when when they're in the race at the end uh, and and the full rage comes on. Uh, and they do the thing where like his pupils like turn a weird shape or the, or the, or the iris does, right? Whatever yeah. the fuck, the little, yeah, the pupils, the pupils turn a weird shape, which, which we've seen before in a Disney cartoon, but like, I've seen him make that expression before, but like, but maybe only like once in the entire history, like it's, I think it's a very specific callback. I just don't know which cartoon it is, but yeah, I saw I it instantly don't. recognized it and got so excited that that this is the level of of um, of you know deep lore of of the of the character profiles that they're they're bringing into play here. Yeah, definitely. And I and my my knowledge base for Disney stuff uh, does not. I must admit, it does not run. It does not run very deep. Um, and this is a this is a new this is all a very new experience for me. It's not even refamiliarizing myself. It's um, this is all it's all very novel for me. Yeah. But it's quite lovely. I mean, it's funny because it, it is true that in this episode, Donald and Gladstone are set up uh, against one another in terms of the the experiences of luck that they have in the world. Um, I also, but I also thought of it as, as another way of talking about how we get what we get, mm. um, which has to do with Scrooge McDuck and, right. and looking at the way he got his wealth, which was through risk and adventure and hard work, et cetera, as opposed Being to tougher than the tough, toughies and smarter than the smarties. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to work on it. But then get how it. But then Gladstone just gets it through luck. He doesn't earn anything at all. And so he ends up not valuing anything at all and not investigating and trying to understand the world around him, which is how he can get stuck in a trap. And it's funny, like, I don't know if this is the way all uh, children's shows work, but it seems that there's a very, very intentional way that the writers are building um, an ideology that the way they're 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 the way that the boys are learning how to relate to wealth and adventure through their adventures and through their relationship with Scrooge McDuck, and it feeds through Gladstone Gander. It definitely feeds through the next episode. Right. Um, it feeds through um, the uh, uh, the. Oh, the previous episode. The uh, Beagles. The, the one. The 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 race for the coin. 
well, yeah, the, yes, the coin, but the um, wow, why can't, oh, the day trip of doom. Oh, the, yeah, with yeah. Dewey, or I'm sorry, with Louis, and the way he related to, um, the way he was trying to teach Webby how to get stuff in the world, and yeah. how that teaching is completely undermined by what he gets from Scrooge McDuck. Yes. Oh God, yeah, no, and and which is in the very next episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's it is really interesting the way they've broken, um the way they've broken the stories, particularly the way they've decided to present them, um, definitely builds on a way. And like, I got to admit, like I haven't been watching a lot of kids shows, um, which almost sounds like, why don't make it sound like it's weird that I haven't. When I that, so it be it's, I like, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, th- I guess I've always had a self conception as someone who, does watch these things um but like i haven't in a long time um or at least ones that don't aren't at least partially aimed towards adults like something like clone wars like yeah yeah well it looks Um, like it's like that old thing of people it's like how people like to say oh star wars is a kids movie or doctor who is meant for kids and the answer to that is no they're both they're both aimed at families which is very very different than aiming at a particular age range yeah you know they're four quadrant you know they're Um, four quadrant exactly that's exactly right and ducktales manages to be that as well um but yeah like that that deliberateness like i mean it feels always to me that like I, i guess in the in the animation that's aimed older like it's all more sitcom-y uh, because mm-hmm. they're all of them are sitcoms, whether it's Archer, The Simpsons, or Bob's Burgers, or whatever, um, characters don't really learn. They don't evolve. Um, they certainly aren't presented with right. ideologies. Um, right. Well, that's well, that's the. I, and I wonder if that's. I mean, what, one of the ways people talk about comedy is that a, a comic character has one huge flaw that is radically exaggerated and that never changes. And that's as in, and that's different than drama, where characters have some sort of realization about themselves through the mistakes that they made, and then they come, and then their fortunes change, right? So it's like the difference between uh, a drama and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. But this, but this show, and I wonder if this is true of kids shows. This has a very different shape. Like this is the shape of, of, of teaching you a thing of this is how you learn to be, this is how you learn to have a relationship with money, or this is how you learn to have a relationship with adventure or family or whatever it is, where there's like a lesson, you know, like at the end of every G.I. Joe episode, we, we learn what the lesson is, or or that thing that South Park satirizes, where at the end of the episode, they say, oh, what, what have we learned? What's the lesson we've learned in a very tongue-in-cheek sort of way? Yeah. But in the same way that this show doesn't use that undermining of expectations as a story engine or as a as an, as a as a plot point engine it it's unafraid to be explicitly about moral instruction which i think is something that we really shy away from or or is something that um that 
is kind of frowned upon or that you kind of have to hide when it's adult entertainment or when it's art, you know? Yeah. But here it's right. It's wearing it on its sleeve. Well, well, and like we, we demonize moral instruction in this society in two directions on the, and unfortunately most things in society these days boil down in two directions <laughs> on the right Good grief. with Christian more with Christian moralism. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything coming from liberal Hollywood is, you know, demonized because it's a threat to the cultural hegemony inside, you know, the Christian conservatism, right? You do not want those Hollywood liberal, you know, I'm about to say 15 other horrible things, um, you know, instructing your children. Um, and then on the flip side, because the, partly because of an internalized fear of being called out on that. Mm-hmm. And I think a, 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 a re- reaction and a disgust um, at the whole idea of providing moral instruction at all, you don't tend to find a lot of people who are more progressive um, being willing to engage with story as a means of, of providing moral instruction and a framework and a compass, right? Yeah. Which, which I feel like dangerously seeds that territory automatically over to more reactionary forces, right? That the ideas yeah. of Joseph Campbell You're seeding territory. Yeah. That the, that the ideas of Joseph Campbell flawed as they are, were introduced to our generation through a discussion of Star Wars and to the by Joseph Campbell himself with Bill Moyers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who was, you know, a, a, a great ethical and moralizing force, uh, a very moderate one at that, but on PBS, which has an intellectual bent. Mm-hmm. And that those same ideas were revisited and to some degree introduced, as far as I understand, because I refuse to like expose myself to it. Uh, by Jordan Peterson amongst the current generation just sort of screams, you know, where we've sort of lost the plot, right? Yeah, well, there's, there. I mean, there's this tension between, um, I, I think it's telling that the place that moral instruction in storytelling has been put is, especially in, in, in the early 70s, which is the, the sort of... Um, boiling point of postmodernism but is into something like star wars that people can happily shuffle to the side or happily call a children's movie right where in high art or in uh continental european cinema or in uh, um, um fine art it's all about moral and intellectual ambiguity and those are the places where where liberals tend to populate their ideas and at the same time that the joseph campbell stuff was being filtered into something like star wars that was that was exactly when postmodernism made an entire career out of taking the great narratives and say oh hey here look here are these secret moral teachings that are hidden beneath the surface that you can find and that we don't really want and that we can disrupt, destabilize, and deconstruct. And I think it's exactly as you say, like, like the, the idea of moral instruction 
we do we don't associate with something that can also be extraordinarily um, sophisticated. And the territory wow. is seeded, but then it's shuffled off into um, other spaces. Well, then that makes me think about you know with with these grand franchises, you know. Um, you you have these points where you know ethical frameworks are always happening inside work mm-hmm. either 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 it's examined explicitly or it's in, in, it's examined implicitly right and um uh, or or it's meant to sort of subliminally you know just kind of like lull you into a, a way of seeing the world um and I, I find it, I find it really interesting that, you know, that there's, there's this tendency, particularly in, as a universe gets big enough and as it starts to try, a franchise gets big enough, it starts to try to like encompass a lots of points of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you'll see in a fandom, people embrace a certain identity within that fandom. Uh, naturally, of course, I'm thinking about Star Wars for a moment. <laughs> shocker, shocker. <laughs> Claxons went off. Four people just got horribly drunk because of a drinking game or whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um, and and you see, you see that you know people embrace you know the, the visage of the Mandalorian, uh, and then they get very interested into the warrior ethos of the Mandalorian people. And and they start to like modify their identity based off that, or they're into the Jedi, and the Jedi is really hard to like deal with because they're aesthetic, you know, they're aesthetes, and they they don't really, you know, they they want to put you into a relationship with your emotions, and then there's there's the the world stuff they built for the Sith, and so people get very into that because it's all about passion and whatnot. Well, something interesting happened to me this week, which is that I found out. Um, and I haven't seen the primary sources on this, but I found out that like the Sith code, mm-hmm. um, which is all about, you know, through passion, there's strength and breaking the chains and freedom was explicitly modeled by the people who were modeling it for like the coder games, uh, on Mussolini's fascism, right? Because if you wanted to have bad guys, <laughs> you know, who are fascist, you would get a fascist ideology and like, you know, make it, make that the thing and make that the core of it. And yet I have seen dudes trick out their cars with the Sith code on it and people wholeheartedly embrace it because they're like, they don't realize they're embracing, embracing a fascist code because they haven't had that. Uh, even though it's, it, it's weird, even though it is patently obvious from the context of the world that it's in, they just think it's something cool and it's just another point of view because when we turn all of the art into commodity, we make ideologies something that you can just consume, particularly if there isn't an authorial voice guiding you and grounding you and saying, this is the path this is the actual way what you're on or what you're exploring is the aberrant path. And it's okay to explore it as an intellectual exercise, but we are not recommending it as the way to go, which is something that 
video games in particular wind up doing and, and, and everything's just seen as, well, it's just a choice. We can let you do whatever you want to do because creative freedom is so is valued above all else, but at the expense of anything like a developed moral compass. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't necessarily know I don't know how we got here, or maybe we were always here, but that feels like it's a product of a postmodern consumerist society. Um, and, and not of another earlier form. I'm I'm not entirely sure either. I mean, there are a lot of threads happening right now. And I'm not sure which way I want to go. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to DuckTales. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because I mean, all things it, uh, ultimately do come back to DuckTales. Because even after the first, pardon? All things do come back to DuckTales. Because even at the beginning of this, it, it, it struck me that I didn't understand how you could have a kid's adventure show where the most – where the central figure – is the richest duck in the world and have it not in some way comment on what wealth means and what it means to acquire it. But it didn't occur to me that it would actually be that the show would seemingly be really engaging with that question in a very um, open and clear way in a way that's self-aware that is investigating its own ideology um, because as you say everything has an ideology whether it's imminent or um, explicit um, and that ducktales really 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 does is kind of refreshing and uh and this really was the episode that wrapped my mind around it. And I have to say, the episode that followed, while it seems to, and the episode that follows is uh, the infernal internship of Mark Beeks, uh, um, I was a little disappointed by. I have to hmm. say, what was what was the source of the disappointment? I think the source so so in this episode there's a new character introduced named Mark Beeks and Mark Beeks um is I mean he's he's Mark Zuckerberg I mean he's he's a young um well not quite Mark Zuckerberg but he he runs a very successful and influential tech company Water. And it, it, and even though everyone knows about it, it's a little unclear exactly what they make. They make awesome, right? So so it's not it's not quite Mark Zuckerberg in the sense that that uh, Mark Beeks has not created a like he, he doesn't have a social platform that 
kind of ties a radically large portion of the global population together, right? I mean, they've got waddle phones, right? So like he is sort of like the stand in for, I mean, he's, he's Silicon Valley, right? Uh, he's Duckburg's. I was about to try and come up with like the equivalent of like Silicon Beach for Duckburg, what that would be. Then my brain hung up on it, so let's not worry about that. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, the phones do at least have the the Waddle W on them. So uh-huh. like they make something. Whether or not they um what whether or not like he's got any skill whatsoever, uh, is is kind of an open question for the majority of this episode. Yes, it's it's the question of the episode. Yeah, like what 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 is his latest thing to da and you know what but I so like as we all know cuz we all seen the episode, sorry suckers if you didn't uh you know at the end tada there is no there's nothing there, right? The next yeah. the next great product doesn't exist. Which I, as someone who follows the tech space pretty heavily, feels is one which, of the meta which, commentary. Which weirdly, weirdly, when when we were brought to the to the Tada um, room, the first thing I thought about was devs. <laughs> which I still haven't made all my way through. Like I, I, I stalled out on the first episode because uh, I started watching at the beginning of of, of pandemic, and I was yes. like, this feels like it's going to depress me. And I really don't need that right now. What's something fun I can do? And now, all these weeks later, we're talking about DuckTales. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would not recommend devs, but I think that I'm in the minority. Oh, you wouldn't recommend it? I would not recommend general, it, no. In general, yeah. Well, if you if you wouldn't recommend it, then I can use that as an excuse to like not do it. So um, we, are, we are literally in the platinum age of television, right? I mean, for the love of God... Um, HBO Max is starting at the end of the month. I know. And apparently Good HBO Lord. Max, and, and if you already have HBO, you basically just get it for free, from what I can tell. And a bunch of Crunchyroll is coming over. I know. That was the most exciting part of it for me. Yeah. The fact that it was like, I think both Runuro Kenshin and Berserk. I've, and I've, reached, like, the, I've reached the part of my streaming life where the only place to go is anime. Yeah. Well... Uh, and that's because you know we live on the edge of the streaming wars, and like anime is the last great uh, field. Oh God, that reminds me. I've got to send you. I got to send you a, a Twitter thing uh, later. I'll, I'll hunt it down. It's really, really good, really good. Um, from weeks ago about the streaming wars. You'll love it. Uh, I'll say no more. Um, there's, yeah, I like what I think is. What I think's fun here about this episode, and it's it's a light episode. It's like a pure, kind of pure comedy. Yes. But I think what's good about it is one we, even though it's not like as sharp as some of the other episodes we've we've had, it's filled with good character moments. Like, I'm noticing that like Dewey going after sharp objects in a space is a recurring gag. <laughs> um, because like in in the last episode he went straight for the spears. And in this episode, he goes straight for a suit of armor <laughs> and grabs an axe out of it. Um, like literally cannot, if there's weapons nearby, Dewey cannot keep his hands off them. Um, we get more Flintheart Glomgold, uh, who yes. I just, I just adore. I particularly love <laughs> that his beard is a clip-on. 
<laughs> because he's, he's like they, the moment where he takes the muscle, he shows up as like looking like a, a Victorian bodybuilder as a bike messenger at the end of the episode with a curly mustache, and then he takes that disguise off and then puts his beard back on. <laughs> because, and I just, or that his self conception is like super muscular, or that he, or that he gives like you know, hours long you know, declarations of evil intent speeches because that's the most important part of an evil plan, right? <laughs> like he's he's such like he's so self aware, he's unself conscious. Yes. Like it's this incredible, incredible, like just 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 absurd character. Um, and here comes new money, right? Here comes Mark Beeks. Here comes someone who's just bullshit. Well, I think, well, I, well, and just just to touch on Glumgol, I think it's also important to note the 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 difference in Glumgol's motivation to Scrooge's motivation. Mm-hmm. Because Glumgold's motivation really is to be the world's richest duck. Whereas for Scrooge, there's more going on. Yeah. Like Scrooge is – I mean Scrooge definitely has the the same flaw, the same disease. he, he, I mean he enjoys being the richest duck in the world. Like I don't – Without – yeah. But like it's it's definitely – it's like the difference between the person who wants to be the best at the game and the person who wants to be number one ranked on the leaderboard. Is it is it the difference between Belloc and Indiana Jones? <gasps> That's Nolifer, yes. Yeah. 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 Flint Glom Gold is Belloc. Yep. And Scrooge McDuck is clearly Indiana Jones. For, yeah, definitely. That that's also the great realization is that is that Scrooge is not retired Doctor Who. He's retired Indiana Jones. Mm. Yeah, he may be voiced by a doctor, but he is he is Doctor Jones all the way. Which gets back to like you know George Lucas being a fan of the Carl Barks, right? Yes. You know, oh um, yes. Absolutely. Dude, like Absolutely. Tintin and and you know Carl Barks Scrooge stories. That's what Indiana Jones is made of. Yep. You know, did you ever watch the Tintin movie that that Spielberg and what's his butt uh, Peter Jackson made? So I I I sometimes do this thing where I love movie theater popcorn so much. I love movie theater popcorn so much that when I had movie pass, I would sometimes go get a movie ticket, go into the theater, get movie popcorn, and then leave the theater. Mm. They must um, have literally legitimately loved you. <laughs> I've managed to to kick this um, incredibly unhealthy habit. Um, and actually, if there's a, with the coronavirus, I, uh, I obviously I can't do it at all. Yeah. Um, also, so, they probably but, would have let you in without a ticket if you just said, I want to go buy some popcorn. Exactly. They would have been like, oh, God, please, thank you. <laughs> That's right. I think I actually talked someone into doing that for me a few times. <laughs> um, but what that meant was sometimes I would go to see a movie and I'd be so excited to the popcorn that I would eat like half a bag of popcorn and then immediately fall asleep. <laughs> 
And that is what happened to me with Tintin. I think I woke up somewhere in the middle of like the big chase that like the mm-hmm. big, the set piece. Um, but I have not seen the entire thing, but I started thinking about it again because I started thinking about Joe Cornish mm. because of the snow crash announcement. Oh, with Joe. What did Joe Cornish, did Joe Cornish direct some of the Tintin? I'm confused. Here. What's no, the he was, he was on screenplay. He was one of the writers. Oh. Yeah. Which is why I was so excited. It's like Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg, Joe Cornish. How could it not be the greatest thing that ever happened? And Joe Cornish wrote, didn't, did Joe write and direct Attack the Block? Or wrote and directed Attack the Block. Yep. Or the director, okay. Okay. Which brought us John Boyega, which I don't love exactly. Attack the Block, but I love John Boyega. Right. Yeah. Even I love still Attack having, the Block. Yeah. I think I think the problem with attack not that there's a problem with attack the block. I I want to I want to be very careful what I'm saying here. It was talked up so much to me. Ah. Uh, Whereas if I had encountered it the way yeah. that film festival people encountered it, much the way that I, which was how I encountered, uh, you know, let the right one in, right? Yeah. It was like, what's this too. Swedish vampire film at the film festival I'm yeah. working at? I think I'll go see it. And then you come out and you're like, oh my fucking God, you know, and your brain's been melted down. And they're instantly like, hey, want to come see a Swedish vampire movie with me? There's another screening. Come along. Um, uh, Because that's how you show interest in in weird girls. Um, But you're saying about Tintin. um, Sorry, I flashed on something. I'll explain later. Um, Does that have to do with God Girls? Uh, it ha- it, it's something that has to do with a, fun- with a, with a car conversation of ours. Uh, okay. and oh, the, yes. Uh, I never I saw that conversation that you're referencing. Uh, yes, I know. Uh, this, this is, this is what happens at a certain point in a friendship. You know, you only need three or four words and everything is made very clear. Um, no, oh, everyone, man. it wasn't anything gross. Don't worry about that. We're no. not so delicate sensibilities. That was a glory of the before time. It was a glory of the before times. Um, I never saw the Tintin, but um, I was just curious if you had, and if maybe you were about to tell me that it was like good enough that I should like take the time uh, to to watch it. But uh, I fell asleep after eating half of mm. extra large popcorn. No, I think my it's a is, uh, my, you know, uh, do you remember baked potatoes? Like, wait, like. Like the actual food stuff? No, the 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 book of film no. reviews for people who are high. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm not familiar Noah. with this. Noah, Ben, I've never been a stoner. Or steal so... one of these books. I mean, I'm I'm not a stoner either, but some of my best yeah. friends are stoners. Yeah, and this is this this the writing in this book is some of the greatest film writing of all time it's it's a wonder it's a wonderful book i strongly recommend it okay and baked potatoes yes it's specifically for what to watch when you are stoned oh, wow. and to give you a sense of this book there are little icons and some of the icons are like do not watch this when you are stoned for like 
watership <laughs> down and meet the feebles. Oh, 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 no. But, one should but, barely watch those when one is sober. Right. But then some oh of them are like, God. you definitely should watch this movie while stoned. And one of those icons is just to indicate that Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie. <laughs> That's how good this book is. But part of the Can book, I, yeah. part, part, no, part no, of the book is going. about sections of movies. So like, um, um uh, so like the French connection as a movie is not considered something to watch while high, but the car chase definitely is. Ooh. And I have since watched that central set piece, um, chase scene in, in Tintin. And it really is truly astonishingly wonderful. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about baked potatoes. That's all that really was about. Um, whereas I've never been much of a stoner as I said, except for that one year, um, <laughs> which was really that, that one kind of relationship. Um, oh. I do have, I do have, and, and sadly, this is almost a level of, of hackery here because what I'm about to say is the name of the movie that I think is the movie to watch when you're stoned. Uh-huh. Um, it also happens to be, and I did not know this until after I saw it. Uh, and this is the kind of movie that you only like, you get your hands on because you've got a really good video store at your disposal. So it was mm-hmm. like from those years, it was back when I was working at a movie theater and we, we, we had a deal with the, the independent video store in town. So they got to see whatever movie they wanted. We got to rent whatever we wanted, which was how I saw The Wire, for instance, okay. uh, or Arrested Development, right? So like, but it's also how I got my hands on the Saragossa Manuscript, which also happens to be Jerry Garcia's favorite film, uh, which is why it's kind of hack to be like, this is the best movie to watch while stoned. Uh-huh. But like, the movie itself is structured with the idea that like a character is having dreams within dreams. <laughs> and so it's already a little, but it's, 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 it's very, and, and this is not like a point of view film. This is not something that breaks the fourth wall. This is not something that we would call immersive in the least, like the moments of these dreams within dreams. It's all very, you could do half this stuff on a stage from what I remember. Mind you, it's been a few years. I was really stoned. Um, it is it is amazing. I watched that film, and at a certain part, I could no longer tell if if I was dreaming the movie, or the movie was, or 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 the movie was still going on, or maybe the point of the movie was that I didn't know if I was dreaming it or not. Noah, you failed to mention that this is a one hundred and eighty-two minute Polish film. Yeah, details <laughs> that I need to see. This sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's a hundred and eighty-two minute Polish film. <laughs> <laughs> but you should only see probably Wallstone. Um, now this episode has the explicit tag on it because we discuss drugs. This is this is the this is the best thing we've ever done. Um, oh man! But, okay, so Tintin Scrooge McDuck uh, makes his money. I mean, it goes back to like you know he he, he made his money. Uh, the right way he stole it himself. Exactly. Right? Whereas Mark Beeks is trying to rip everybody off 
right. to a lie. Right. And Flimhart, Flintheart Glomgold um, uh, will do anything to be number one. How, how, is, that really that a, how is that a dwarf's name? If, if there's ever a dwarvish name, it's that. Flintheart Glomgold? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is, he is small. He's a, he's a small, he small man. Who has a shark guy? <laughs> um, I I I found myself. I, I liked I liked it. Um, well, this is also this is the episode where even though we're both Dewey men, I find myself rooting for Huey. Right? Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and and I and I feel like he comes to. He comes to a realization here that is uh, that is that is touching and useful, and and the way that and the way that the two of them come together at the end and agree that saving Mark Beeks is the way to go is quite lovely. Yeah, doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Like at the end of the day, the the boys are very deeply moral, even yeah. even when they're like you know, but 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 I love I love the moment when. Huey finally, he finally wins. His checklist carries him through, and particularly because you know he, because he manages to like get the 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 latte to him mm-hmm. at the right moment, and like because right before then, right, like Beaks is about to have a full on meltdown, right, and which I think says a hell of a lot. I mean, how many studio meetings <laughs> went into that moment? of of just type a personalities that the writers have encountered because you look at you look at a moment like that where beeks is like about to have a complete psychotic breakdown because he got the uh-huh. coffee at the wrong time and it's a comic trope on the one hand but on the other hand like if you're if you're in if you're in a business that involves creative people or people who or even worse people who think they're creative you will run into variants of that type of person and yes. it won't come out in that absurdist way, but the emotion behind it that's like tuned with this like dark tuning fork was absolutely perfect. Uh, that, that moment performance was great. And then it yep. like quickly flips around Huey. So Huey gets at the right time. And then within seconds, Mark Beeks notices Dewey's briefcase. Uh, and thinks he's cool, and then suddenly, like, hires Dewey in over you. <laughs> um, and I just, I just, even though I'm rooting for Huey, I just, I love that moment so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Not, not, not heavy on the, um, on the meta plot. This arc. Um. But continuing to set the board and with House of the Lucky Gander sort of showing how far the show is willing to go when it comes to uh, trippy lack of realism. Yeah. Um, I mean, this it, it's a good, it's, it's a good trilogy. It's a good, or it's a, it's a, it, it, it it's a very, uh, it's a three episodes that explore a lot of territory. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I mean, is is the infernal internship of Mark Beeks the first episode where where nothing supernatural happens? Um, let's let's 
let's walk this through. In terms of the ones we've seen? So with with obviously with the pilot, with Wu, uh totally has got supernatural stuff with Atlantis, uh, and the ghosts, you know, and and uh and the headless um the headless horse. Um Day Trip of Doom doesn't really have no. any supernatural. Yeah. No Day supernatural, Doom, that's correct. Yeah, Day Trip of Doom is 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 just that. Um Great Dime Chase has technology, but no magic. Yeah. Although, I, yeah. I mean I'll 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 I will argue in the Great Dime Chase between the robot. Yeah. It definitely takes a step out of yeah uh the real-ish world yeah it's it's speculative fiction or science there's there's science fiction and like the library stuff is a little you know yeah yeah is it magic is it science who knows um i was totally expecting that character to be revealed as magic and a spell like the librarian uh so in the next episode when we we got magica i was like oh okay well like magic is running on next beagle birthday Magicka shows up. So magic, Terra Fermians, mythological, Lucky Gander, full-on magic. It's about, you know, more yeah. than half have yeah. magic. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Our next block of shows. Uh-huh. Um, we're gonna do we're gonna do another three block uh this time out, because uh that that this will end on a good set. Uh the living mummies of Toth Ra. Excellent. Uh, the Impossible Summit of Mount Neverest. Okay. And and the Spear of Selene. Excellent. Which um, is a phrase you may have heard um, before in the show. Um, you said that you were Ooh, Googling. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exciting. All right. Yeah, it is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, you, uh, you said you were Googling Donald Duck's family tree before. I was, I was trying to get straight, um, who, who I, who, who was related to who? Like once, um, once, once Lucky Gander, uh, once Gladstone Gander came along, I had to, uh, uh, just get very clear on where Scrooge McDuck, like all the generations, because there is the Scrooge McDuck generation, the Donald slash uh, Gladstone generation, and then the boys. Um, And I just wanted to be very clear on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know how the comic book handles it, or depending on whose, whether it's Carl's or it's Don's version of the family tree. Given what this show does to the timeline, uh-huh. um, because it's gonna get revealed. And this, this isn't really a spoiler because it doesn't it doesn't affect anything, but like they decided to like have so like Scrooge McDuck in the in the comic book was like old enough that he was around uh he was out in like the Yukon Gold Strike. Um, okay. Like like, like, and that, you know, and indeed, like, there's a version of, of the history where the idea is that he actually, like, the, like, the, the original Scrooge McDuck, like, passes, like, after his 100th-ish birthday, uh, like, in the 1960s, right? Like, depending on, like, if you're, like, like, certain comic book writers who have, like, pegged down his life in, like, 
in a super pedantic way, which is totally fine. Go for it. I'm never not going to do some super pedantic comic book stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's what I live for. Um, this show has decided that, yeah, Scrooge was alive then too. <laughs> and like, and like he's, 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 a, he's, he's like, he's as old as they need him to be. And it yep. is today. Uh, and, and that's going to come around uh, a couple of times. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to see. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll do, we'll do that. And then, yeah, you know, we, we may be good for like, you know, triple goes, um, okay. we're going to program note. This will be the last episode released in this block. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be like, I don't know exactly how I'm dumping these out, but I've decided I want to like release them in little blocks cool. um, for fun. And then uh, there'll be a period of time where people are waiting. I, I'm liking it, likening it to the way it was with Watchmen where it was like, you got an episode and they're like, I'll see you in three episodes. <laughs> so it's like, if you've been enjoying this, um, if, you've been, if you haven't been enjoying this, just turn it off and don't tell us. <laughs> If you have been enjoying it, guess what? You're getting more uh, uh, because we're, we're having fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode, which features the tracks Battle of the Pogs, Poopy's Theme, The Adventure, and Dance Contest to the Music from the album Poopy's Incredible Adventures by Kumiku via the free music archive and used under a Creative Commons license. Check out more at freemusicarchive.org. If you're just discovering this feed, we've got hundreds of episodes about everything immersive and a whole website, No Persinium, that's dedicated to just that, all of which is made possible by our Patreon backers. Follow us at No Persinium on Twitter and Facebook and learn how to support our work at patreon.com slash nopersinium. For Zay Amsbury, I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, remember... Any crash you can walk away from. Zencaster, so you know, hopefully it'll work. Oh, and I've got to open up this. Um... Oh yeah, good old-fashioned Zencaster. Yeah, it's been it's been age. Um, haven't trusted ever since that time we tried to like do one with like Michael Anderson of ARGN and uh, the Spiras, and it totally failed. Hmm. Let me show you the the absolutely beautiful uh, can this beer comes in. Uh, I'm I'm texting that to you right now. Um, this is the Buena Vesa Salt and Lime Lager from Stone, which is Ooh. essentially um, their version. Oh, of the nice! Yeah, little SoCal imagery for you. Uh huh. It's got the salt nice. and lime already added, so you don't have to do any any extra Ooh. work. Yeah, and you can really smell it. It's it's it smells like a a, a properly prepared Gromita. Uh, and tastes like it too so um cool it's a perfect perfect summer beer for southern california
Um, how's the, I mean, not to, not to get pedestrian, but how's the weather there? Um, you know, like thankfully not blistering at the moment, just because if it was, I'd be dying. Um, because of like the inability to open up my, um, windows uh, during the day Mm -hmm. because of the workmen. Uh, and right now all of the Southern facing, um, living room windows are uh, painted over with black paint because um, of uh, they're in the middle of the job. So I am looking Good at the back side of paint right now. Yeah. It's really awesome. That's so terrible. Good yeah, God. Uh, let me, let me, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you the photo of that. Uh, yeah, at one point today, like I actually caught a little video of, of the guy, um, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, just like the shadow of the guy, uh, doing the thing. No, yeah, I caught like a 12 second video of, of them, like, you know, putting caulk all over. And then I was like on, I was in a video call with a friend while, while they were actually doing the painting. So I turned the video around and say, look what they're doing to me, (laughs) they're painting me in. Um, my yeah, God, it's, been it's like it's it's like you're on a sound stage or something. It it is like I'm on a sound. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, maybe this is all just the Truman Show. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm the Jim Carrey. That would explain a lot. Oh, explain a hell of a lot. That would explain a lot. Um, but we're not here to talk about old Jim Carrey uh, crossover movies. Uh, no. Yeah, you know he never managed to cross over. He wanted no. Wait, that's I'm wrong. Didn't he win the Oscar for playing Andy Kaufman? Did he win the Oscar for that? Did he win the Oscar? Or did he get nominated? Hold he definitely on. got nominated. He definitely got nominated for it. He probably should have won the Oscar that year. So hold on. Probably. Have you seen the documentary about his uh, method process for making that movie? No. It's more... Of, of all the post-career lives that are fascinating... I really love Jim Carrey's post career. Not really post career. He still makes movies, but his 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 IRL life, from what I've seen of it, after like forty five, is uh, really fascinating. And this documentary is. I mean, I enjoyed it more than Man on the Moon. He apparently never got nominated. Holy moly! The Academy Award. So he got, wow. He got a he got a BADA nomination for Eternal Sunshine, and he got Golden Globe. He won the Golden Globe for The Truman Show. Won it for Man on the Moon, but did not get nominated for the Oscar. Got wow. nominated for the SAG Award. Man, the Oscars cannot be bothered with comedy. Yeah, Lord, who won that year? See, now I just gotta. What? Wow, how do you not? My, I don't remember. So my my girlfriend about two years ago decided that she was gonna watch every movie that won Best Picture for the Academy Awards, and this this seems like a pattern because last week it was like all the AFI. Well, well, here's here's what happened. She said that to me, and I said, you know. I know you're not really a movie person, 
generally speaking, and that's why you're doing this. I can tell you, most many of the movies that have won the Academy Award are not the best movie that year. Oh no, and not at all. I I don't know if I don't know if you're going to enjoy this journey. And she pulled the plug uh, right around the late '60s on this trip, which is mm. why she ended up moving to the AFI list, and now she's incorporating the 10-year anniversary AFI list, and then soon she'll be working on an international list, which is better than all the movies that won Academy Awards, because then you have to watch Green Book, and nobody wants to do that. Oh, God. Not to mention, whatever. Anyway, yeah, let's let's veer off of this. All right, but I just just had to know... uh, Oh, this is great. So the 72nd Academy Awards uh, winning best actor that year was Kevin Spacey for American Beauty. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But also like we've all we've all lived to regret that one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, who knew that at the time? No, no, no. no. A milkshake duck can happen. At any time, at any place, <laughs> in any, in any, in any, uh, in any part of the, uh, of the timeline, as it were, um, I am, I, yeah, I am kind of like, anyway, I can't, oh, who else? Russell, also nominated was Russell Crowe, Richard Farnsworth, Sean Penn, and Denzel Washington. Well, Sean Penn for what that year? Mystic Sweet Robert. and Lowdown. Oh, wow. Woody Allen. Amazing. Oh, God. Yeah. The Woody Allen based on Lestrade. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Gross. 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 Okay, that was enough of that. Um, Welcome to episode three of Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes. We're sticking with it.